I'm reading from the ESV if it don't sound exactly like yours. Matthew 24, 1. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. They all wanted to know what the end of times would look like. That's what Matthew 24 is about. What's the end of times look like? And verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them and he said this, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse 3 and 4 is what I want you to see. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, the rapture? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said this, See that no one leads you astray. Guard your relationship with Jesus. Guard your relationship with truth. The King James Version says, Don't let anyone deceive you. Deceive. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Lord, touch me for a few moments, I pray. Let your will be done and accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus and the disciples, they were at the temple, Solomon's temple. Sits on a sprawling 35 acres. It's the, it's the third most holy site to the Muslims. Right now today in Jerusalem, the Muslims have control of this 35 acres where the temple should be sitting. We know that it's not there. The Wailing Wall is there in certain pieces of it. But it, it's, it's, it's a place where, where it's in control of the wrong hands and it's 35 acres. But then in this scripture, it was beautiful. It was the temple. It was walls built. In. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see these things? The signs. These are the signs. Not one stone is going to be left sitting upon the other. We understand that a few years later after Jesus said this from being seated at the Mount of Olives that a Roman general named Titus came and Titus built scaffolding around the walls and they built fires around the walls of the temple and the fire got so hot that the gold that was inside of each brick began to melt out and those Roman soldiers dismantled that building to get all of the gold out of those bricks and so it was taken down and Jesus said when you get your eyes on the right things you're going to see the signs of my coming. Now that, that's a prophecy for them and a prophecy for us and the only thing I want to talk about tonight as a sign of his coming was when he opened up that scripture right there in verse number 4 and said to them take heed that no man deceive you for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. My brothers, my sisters, let me tell you something. Satan's plan has not changed. Satan's plan has not changed. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 what the plan of the devil was, that Satan, the enemy, the thief, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, and he does that through deception. 
And how are we deceived, Pastor Chris? We're deceived, number one, by believing the wrong things. We believe the wrong things about Jesus. I, I'm, I'm church of God. Okay, I've got credentials in the church of God, but I really don't know what I am. I'm, I'm really not denominational. I'm, I'm Baptocostal Methodist or something. I don't know what I am. We just believe that whoever's following Jesus, that's what we want to be part of. And, and Hey, that's where I got my shingle from was the church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee. But this book says don't be deceived. Get in this book. Read this book. Don't be deceived. And so from the beginning of time, listen to this, it's so powerful. From the beginning of time, the book of Genesis, all the way to Revelation chapter 20, when he's thrown into the lake of fire, he's called a deceiver. He's out to get you to believe a lie. Maybe not believe a lie. He at least wants you to question the word of God. And when we begin to question the word of God, we set ourselves up for deception. Jesus said, by his stripes you were healed. And when we doubt that and continue to embrace sickness and don't reject it, well, Pastor Chris, I'm still feeling sick. I still got pain. I still got this. I understand that. But we can't just embrace it and, and accept it as part of our life. We've got to understand what the Word says, what Jesus said. Don't believe something that's contrary to the Word because we set ourselves up for deception. Just take a look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. The Lord said unto Eve, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled the serpent deceived me and I did eat. Listen in verse 10 of Revelation 20. And the devil deceived them. So Genesis 3, Revelation 20, he's called a deceiver. Genesis 2, 6 and 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You remember this story, right? This is one of them kids' church stories where the serpent, whatever he looked like, he had legs back then because they, they got the legs, took off of them snakes. Remember, now they eat dust every day. It's in the Bible. It's crazy stuff. And so this, this snake-looking legged thing deceived Adam and Eve. Now, I want you to see something real clear. In the church world, we've got this idea that, that, that what they ate from was the tree of the knowledge of evil. And evil and sin and sickness and disease entered the world because they disobeyed God when he said, Thou shalt not eat of this tree. You can eat of every other one, but not this one. And we say, Oh boy, that's where evil came in, but that's not the name of the tree. The name of the tree is Thou shalt not eat of this tree, God said. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that amazing? Oh, we can shout up and down and jump off this stage and hope we don't blow our knee out when we say God don't want us to have any knowledge of evil. But he don't want us to have any knowledge of good either. He wants us to have knowledge of God. Oh, I'm helping somebody. I'm at least helping myself. He, he, we, we think that, well, well when, when they ate that apple or that piece of fruit, evil entered into the world, and it did. But listen, good is the enemy of better, and better is the enemy of best. And the best thing for all of us is to know what God wants us to do and to do what God wants us to do and to be obedient to Him and walk in His way, not to know what's evil, not to know what's good, but to know God and walk in the ways of God. That's what He wanted us to do. And when they partook of that, 
that fruit, it opened up all of this stuff. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. You remember how that conversation went. Yeah, that's what God said. Well, why did you do it? Because God told us not to and we made a mistake and you tricked me and now we're going to die. And the serpent said, Did God say you're going to die? No, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. You're going to know everything He knows. Listen, when we question what God said, that's when the fruit looks good. That's when the lie looks good. That's when the thing that's going to trip us up looks good. And when we partake of it, then we've entered into deception. Jesus said in Matthew 24, See to it. Take heed to yourself. Guard your relationship. And don't be deceived. Oh, come on now. I want, I, want, I want you to hear something. There was a survey taken in July of 2022 about the Word of God. Now, now I know the answer in this room. Do we believe that the Bible is without error? Yeah. Do we believe that the Bible is the infallible, there's no faults in it? Right? We do. But you know what? There's people today, I've talked to them, I've had conversations with them that tell me I can't believe the Bible because men wrote it. And men are fallible. Men are sinful. Men are not perfect. I can't believe the Bible because men wrote it. Listen to me real clear. The author of this book and yours is the Holy Ghost. The men that had part in it, all they did was hold the pen and write down what the Holy Ghost said. The Holy Ghost is not schizophrenic. The Holy Ghost doesn't, doesn't contradict himself. I want to tell you something. This Bible is infallible. It's perfect. It's no error in there. And when we question the Word, we open ourselves up for deception. That, that survey that was taken in July of 22, it tells us that 20%, everybody say 20%, 20% of Americans believe Believe that the Bible is infallible. Simple math. That means that 80% of Americans do not believe that the Bible is God's holy word. They're deceived. They're deceived. There's the fastest growing religion in the world is the Muslim religion. And, and Muslims would like for the Christians and for the non-Christians to believe that, that Islam, the Islam religion, is the sister religion to Christianity. We're almost the same. There's not much difference. We believe in good. We believe in this. We believe in the same things. I want to tell you something. These are not sister religions. There was a division that took place on that ground where the temple was setting, and Ishmael was run off with his mama into the woods, and, and Isaac was laid on an altar to be killed, and God spared Isaac. Come on now. And Ishmael had to go off. And the Islamic faith was born over here. And Abraham got a covenant with God. Oh my goodness, I got too much to preach tonight. Abraham got a covenant with God that your seed are going to be like the stars of the heaven and the sands on the seashore. That's how your seed is going to number. And that's going to be the blessed people. Can I tell you something tonight? The Bible said whoever touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. Amen. I I, that's not something good. I, I've had my eye poked before and I had to walk around for 30 minutes like this. 
When we mess with covenant people, when we mess with Israel, whoever it is, it's like poking God in the eye and we're not going to get away with that. Amen? And so Islam and, and all of this deceit and all of this wacky religion, it's trying to lead people astray and tell us that there's multiple ways to heaven. There's all kinds of ways. Jesus is a good way to heaven. There's others that'll say Jesus is a better way to heaven. Jesus is the best way to heaven. That's even not true. Jesus is the only way to heaven and we've got to know the truth and let the truth set us free. So I'm going to, this is going to be the simplest sermon you've ever heard probably, but I, I, I just told God, Lord, I want to preach something else. I want to preach something where people go, whoa, whoa. But the problem is I'm not that smart. Simple. I want to give you the antidote to deception. What time is it so I won't preach too long? The antidote. I want to give it to you. If you want to write it down, I encourage you to do it. I, I, I believe in what I'm about to tell you. The antidote to deception is discipleship. Come on. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ will set you up in a relationship with Him whereby you will not be deceived. You've all heard this analogy that I'm about to give you. I've heard this. I don't have any proof of it. But I've heard that in the banking world, they teach those tellers how to detect a fake bill. So in my mind, I would bring in every fake bill that I've ever confiscated and I'd lay it out on the table and I'd say, all right, all of you tellers come by and look at this foolishness. These things, look how silly that is. That, that's supposed to be a dollar and it's got Martha Stewart's face on it. <laughs> that, that's what I would do to teach them what's an artificial bill. I'd, I'd get everything that was ridiculous, everything that was that just didn't look like a dollar, and I'd say, now look at it. Now when that comes through your window, don't take it. But that's not how they teach them, to detect fake money. How do they teach them to, def, to, to uh, find and, and, and see it and to recognize an artificial? They give them piles of the real stuff. A stack of real $100 bills. Now, they don't get to take it home with them. They handle it. They feel it. They know what that money feels like. They know what that picture looks like. They, they see the little flakes of, uh, of carpet in it or whatever that is in the money. And they, they, they have their hands on the authentic way more than they do the artificial. And so when the artificial or the fake or the deception comes into their hands, their fingers, their eyes, everything about their sensory lets them know this is not the real deal. If you want to serve survive deception. If you want to live a life of truth and not be deceived by the devil, you've got to spend your time with the authentic. You've got to spend your time with God and with his word. You've got to spend your time in prayer and in talking with him and playing these songs and singing these songs and worshiping because the Bible said he inhabits the praises of his people. You'll not be deceived by 
divine artificial God. If you spent time with the real deal, you'll know when it's him and your spirit will repel when it's not him. Everything about your sensory will be able to determine when the unreal, when the fake, when the artificial has come into your life. Be not deceived, Jesus said. Watch out for your relationship. Watch out for your heart. Don't be deceived in this world. The antidote is discipleship. What is discipleship, Pastor Chris? Number one, if you and I, I'm going to give you three quick things of how to be a disciple. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, number one, we've got to spend time in His Word. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to read the Bible every day. I'm a mean preacher at our church. I made, I, I made, I asked our people to sign a contract that they would read the Bible five out of seven days a week. Why didn't you ask them to do it every day? Because I didn't want them to lie. I asked them to sign a contract. Will you read the Bible five out of seven days a week? Will you read a devotional book five out of seven days a week? Will you pray one hour a week to push back the darkness that's trying to infiltrate our church and infiltrate people's families and infiltrate children's life? Will you pray past Bobo's hurt toe? Will you pray past someone's packed earwax in their ear? Will you pray past all of that? and push back the darkness folks as long as we're concentrating on somebody's hangnail the devil is coming and he's deceiving our children we've got to push back the darkness it's okay to pray for the sick it's in order to pray for the sick it's in order to anoint the sick with oil but there comes a time when we've got to get militant in our prayer and march the darkness back towards hell and open up the light over our church so that there's a heaven that's opened up and spirit of God comes into that place we've got to get serious about our relationship with God discipleship is an antidote for deception read the Bible oh I got a real spiritual sermon tonight don't I Read the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Talk about the Bible. Share the Bible with somebody. We've got to know what God said. Huh. Let, me, let me hurry. I'm going to tell you where it's at. I want you to know. When you and I commit to reading the Word of God, there's something that we've got to know. The goal of discipleship, the goal of discipleship is God. The pathway to discipleship is God. The goal is to have fellowship with the triune God. The pathway to have fellowship with the triune God is to fellowship with the triune God. Because we'll never know, there, uh, know everything there is to know about Him. I want you to hear me now. The Bible, reading the Bible, knowing the Bible is part of discipleship. Listen to this scripture. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture, everybody shout all Scripture, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Can I, can I just be honest? I'm, 
don't go back and tell on me, David. I'm preaching about you falling, not Valley View, okay? There, there's a lot of dead Christians in the church. I, I don't know if y'all know that or not. We're, we're checking the box. We're going to church. We'll pay our tithe if it don't interfere with our car payment. See, I can say all this stuff. Pastor Keith can't. So I'm doing what he can't do. When he comes to my church, he can say it, I can't. A lot of dead, a lot of dried up on the vine Christians. Am I okay still? I mean, we look the part. We got our Bible on our arm. We raise our hands at the right time. Amen. We say amen at the right time. Preach it, pastor. Come on. We, we know how. But we don't engage the word of God. Paul told his mentee, Timothy, every word, all scripture is breathed out by God. So is anybody trained in CPR here tonight? Okay, good. I hope we don't need you. But one thing I found about CPR is when there's a dead body. Now, it can't be dead for weeks. But if there's a dead body, we can gather up on that body that's lifeless. No health in it. And breathe into its mouth. We can take our hands and position them right. And we can pump that chest, giving that heart artificial compression. Making the blood flow again. That body is lifeless. There's nothing there except for an outside force that's saying, I created you to live. You're supposed to be alive. And I don't see the life in you that I created you for. I don't see you laying hands on the sick. I don't see you up teaching uh, and, and leading a small group. I, I don't see you up singing I, when everybody else is up jumping in the front. You're sitting in the back chewing gum. The Lord's like, come on. You look the part. You look like a good Christian. You shake everybody's hand and call them doc. That's an old Church of God joke. Sorry. <laughs> brother and sister but when someone that knows how to bring that body back to life sees what's going on and they get in position I'm telling you something tonight they get in position and they blow into them lungs and fill them up and that air comes back out and they pump however many times they do and they blow in there again and pump again and blow again and pump again. That's the same thing. The Word of God is breathing life into our lifeless soul. You remember in the book of Genesis on day number six when God said today is the day to create man and he got down to the earth and he swept up a pile of dirt. I see in my mind, this is probably not how it happened, but I see in my mind that God is just sweeping up dirt and getting a pile of it together. It's probably six foot one long. I don't know. It wasn't five foot eight, I'm sure. But he swept up a pile of dirt and he formed an arm and he formed an arm and a leg and a leg and a head and there was no life. It looked good. It looked right. But 
But the Bible said that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and that dirt became a living soul. Why is that important to me, Pastor Chris? Because tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday when the devil's dealt you a blow and you feel like all of the life of God is gone, open that Bible and God will start blowing into your lungs. God will start blowing into your dead lifeless spirit and will raise you back to life to march back out into that world and take authority over the enemy. I tell you folks, the Bible said in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost there was a sound as a mighty rushing wind and the breath of God blew into the infant church and we're still alive and we don't have to be deceived we got to know I'm, I'm hurrying I'm hurrying we got to know the Bible we got to read the Bible we got to get the breath of God in us what else do we need to be a disciple number two we need to know some doctrine okay that's another churchy word we need to know what we believe if you don't want to be deceived hello Uh, let me tell you something about the truth. It, it don't always feel good. I may get run out on a limb right now, sweetheart. Go crank the van. Let me get here and tell you. I'm an Auburn fan. I've never heard that before. I feel better. I was at a banquet the other night where this guy named Jeremiah Castile was preaching. Anybody know Jeremiah Castile? The last four years that Bear Bryant was a coach at Alabama, he played for him. Uh, why couldn't they have brought an Auburn somebody to talk? But it was a free meal. Somebody else had invited me to be there. But the truth came out of his mouth. He said that Bear Bryant, and he wouldn't call him Bear Bryant, he said Coach Bryant. That's all of us people that didn't play for him that he gets to call him Bear. He said that Bear Bryant was the greatest coach ever. That, that's probably true. Except for the one that's there now in Tuscaloosa. Nick Satan, I meant Saban. <laughs> I'm kidding. All you Alabama people, don't, don't murder me. We're out Auburn fans, we're jealous, okay? <laughs> Jeremiah Castile's been the, uh, been the chaplain for the football team for 22 years. Isn't that amazing? He said, I get to preach to the greatest coach in the country every week. How you like that? That was the truth. He's the greatest. Somebody said, why don't you like Nick Saban? I said, because he's not Auburn's coach. If he was Auburn's coach, I'd love him. Right? we got to know what we believe. Jeremiah Castile believed that Coach Bryant and Coach Saban are the best coaches that's ever been in the business and that the University of Alabama football team is the greatest. He believes it. I do too. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But we got to know the truth. Does anybody know what we believe? I told you I'm a Bapticostalist. Do you know what we believe? We believe that Jesus 
was born to a virgin Mary. She'd never known relations with a man. The Holy Spirit came upon her and she became expectant with the Son of God. We believe that. How do you explain it? I don't know and I don't care how to explain it. I know it's the truth. We believe that Jesus lived a sinless life on this earth, never committed one sin. We believe that he lived 33 and a half years and on his way to the cross until he got there, he performed miracles and healings and raised the dead back to life. He walked on water and he caused five loaves and two fishes to feed a multitude. We believe that Jesus performed miracles on this earth. We believe that he was nailed to a cross and died on that cross. We believe that Joseph of Arimathea took him down, put him in a borrowed tomb, prepared his body. Y'all don't have to help me preach right here, but I've been talking about raising that dirt to life. Joseph of Arimathea put him on that bed in that tomb. I want to tell you something. It was nothing short of getting the body in position for a resurrection. And that's what we're doing is we're getting the body in position for a resurrection. I believe there's revival in this house tonight. I believe there's a move of God in this house tonight. I believe there's something powerful can take place in this room tonight and he laid him on that bed and on the third day after he died the Bible says that the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of that grave and he lived for 40 days he showed himself alive after 40 days and we believe that after he showed himself alive for 40 days he stood on top of a mountain and ascended up into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now we gotta know what we believe and and do not waver from it. If I'm going to be a disciple, I've got to know the Bible and I've got to know what I believe. Third thing that we've got to do as a disciple is to create some daily habits. I'm not asking you to sign a contract, but you need to read your Bible every day. Read a devotional book that's not all candy. If you want me to come back, I will, but you may not. I've seen enough candy devotionals that tells you just believe and you're going to be all right. No, I need something that's going to pop my hide every now and then. Tell me how to tighten up. I'm, I'm in an army. Hello? I'm not at the ice cream shop. I'm in an army. I need to know how to live right. Amen. Read your Bible. Read your devotion. Pray. Push back the darkness. That's being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the last thing you and I need to know, and I'm closing, I promise, it may take me 20 minutes to do it, but I'm closing, is that discipleship is a lifelong journey. You don't get there on this earth. You're not, a, you're not the greatest Christian whooper whopper on this earth. It's a lifelong journey. Let me tell you a story that is so powerful to me, and this will be it. Will you come play so I'll quit again? Well, I hadn't quit yet, but guy, thank you. That's a good guy. You remember a story, if I'm wrong, just know I'm close, okay? I think it's Acts chapter 7. It was this guy named Stephen. Stephen was preaching a message, preaching the gospel, preaching what we believe. He was preaching doctrine. He was telling them about this Jesus that they crucified. He was telling them what his, what his belief of God's word and his belief in the doctrine was about. 
I know in the world we live in, we want everybody to like us. And they're not going to. He was preaching the gospel, and the Bible said that they ran upon him. And they gnashed, G-N-A-S-H, they gnashed on him with their teeth. They ran up to him preaching and bit him. Bit him in the back, bit him on the arm. Grabbed him, drug him out of town. Y'all know this story. Took him out into a place where other people were standing with rocks. They're ready to stone him for the gospel that this disciple preached. Pause the story right there. Because while Stephen is down in this, in my mind, this area surrounded by his murderers, ready to stone him, there's another man that we're introduced to in this picture called Saul of Tarsus. He persecuted the church. He thought it was his job to do that. And while they're surrounding him with rocks in the air, ready to throw them, waiting on someone to tell them, go ahead, they looked at Saul. And Saul went, go ahead. The Bible said he was consenting. He's standing there watching it. His job is to kill every Christian. He's got a mob that's following him. They don't like what he was preaching. They don't like that, that Stephen was a disciple. And he said, yes, right there, that's the one. They began to throw those rocks. One hit him in the side. Another one grazed his arm and cut him wide open. Another rock came and hit him in the mouth. His lips started bleeding and his teeth was broke out. Rocks. Bang. They're looking back at Saul. He's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. You see, they knew they were going to get the job done because they pulled their coat off and laid it down at his feet. They didn't want to get hot and mess up their good church clothes. Saul standing off to the side watching the slaughter. Yeah, yeah. But somewhere in that story, Pastor Keith, those rocks, they were hurting him, cutting him, knocking big knots on his head. He looked up at the sky, and the Bible said that the clouds unfolded. And the one who normally sits on the throne beside his father was now standing. I want to tell you something. It's your persecution that causes Jesus to stand up. It's when you're going through the hardest times of your life. That's what causes Jesus to stand up. Not when everything's going great and right and you've got enough money in the bank to do everything and you've got enough money to get your medicine. No, but when you're facing the most difficult times of your life and you've got one over here saying, yeah, you deserve it. You deserve it. And you look up and Jesus is standing. What did he say? He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Let me tell you what I believe happened. You won't find it in your Bible, but I believe this is what happened. When he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, an arrow shot and stuck in the heart of Saul of Tarsus. He heard something he'd never heard before. Oh, we know how it went on down and 
killed some more people. We know about his, his deal on the Damascus Road where he got converted and he called on God as his Lord and he began to, to crisscross Asia and plant churches in Thessalonica and Colossae and over in Ephesus and, and Galatia. He planted all these churches. The great Apostle Paul was converted, but it was the great Apostle Paul named Saul Sorry, that an arrow stuck him in the heart. I won't do that anymore, sound man. He planted churches. He mentored young people. He taught them how to be disciples. He taught them how to love Jesus. He taught them how to have doctrine. But we see him in the book of Colossians say something that is so powerful. Can I tell you something? What your job is as a disciple? Your job as a disciple is to be a missionary to your family and to this community. He's writing a letter to the Colossians. And he says these words, an example of these words. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of the gospel. Has anybody ever been through some very difficult times? We don't, we don't have the time, nor do you have the energy to hear all the mess that I've been through. But you've been through a lot of stuff too. Let me tell you what was happening that day in that pit when those rocks were hitting Stephen. He didn't understand it. I'm sure at times he was saying, God, what is going on? I was just preaching the gospel. I was just serving you. I was just getting, I was just doing my job, and now I'm getting beat to death with rocks. I don't understand, and he probably did not understand until he made it to heaven. But what was happening was God, he'd committed himself to be a disciple of Jesus, and God was completely spending him. What was he spending him to buy? What was God buying in that old valley of rocks? was buying the heart of Saul. You don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but somebody's watching you. There's a Saul somewhere that don't, don't understand nothing about this church, don't understand what's going on, and you're going through all these things and you're remaining faithful. Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Hey, this is as bad as it's ever been. And somebody's getting a piercing in their heart because you're being completely spent for the gospel of God. We don't understand why we go through what we go through, but there's someone that God has his interest in. There's somebody in this community, there's somebody in this church that's going to be the next Apostle Paul. That's going to be the next preacher. That's going to be the next leader. That's going to be the next prophet, apostle, evangelist, teacher, pastor. They've got a calling on their life and they don't even know it yet. But you've committed yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, Lord. Spin me up. Don't let anything be left. When my life is over, take me to 
heaven. But as long as there's anything left, spend it, spend it. And he's spending you. And he's spending everything about you so that that one's going to get saved. And they're going to go and win the whole of Asia. I don't know what you feel like, but there came a time when an old man named Paul, I believe he was remembering that stoning when he said, I will gladly give up my life and my comfort. Paul said, I've learned to be content wherever I am. If I'm in prison, good. If I'm cold, good. If I'm naked, fine. If I'm hungry, that's good enough because I'm willing to be spent so that someone else will know the faithfulness of God. For I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives within me. A disciple knows the Bible. A disciple knows doctrine. A disciple has spiritual habits. <laughs> and a disciple lives all the way to the last breath for the sake of the gospel. I've preached way too long, but I can't leave without saying this. If you're here tonight on this night of refreshing, I hope I haven't worn you out. But if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Chris, I want the breath of God to blow into my lungs again. I've been breathing shallow for too long. I want a good deep breath of the presence of God tonight. If you need a fresh breath of God to breathe in you, come join me in this altar tonight. I believe God's going to touch you. I want revival. I want a move of God in my life, Pastor Chris. I hear the word of God. I want to be a disciple. I want to pay the price to be a disciple. 